Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Father, we believe and know that you are indeed greater than anything of this world. You're the only thing that lasts, the only thing that we can cling to. We give you praise through your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Take your Bibles and open up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have... Uh, a Bible of your own, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, make sure you have your eyes on Scripture today. If you are joining us for the first time, we are uh, in the process of going through the book of Genesis from start to finish. And uh, uh, we finished last week at the beginning portion of uh, chapter 6. If you look at this and you read, uh, I'm going to read verse 5 through verse 8. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Hey, get this, this is really important, church. That every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, I I say that's important because I want us to get a glimpse or an idea at just how severe the situation was. At the end of the day, regardless of how terrible you may think things are around you today, none of us can read this statement and even begin, I believe, to fully comprehend the wickedness that had taken over from the time of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden to this point. Every intention of the thoughts of man was only evil continually. But Noah, this is verse 8, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how many of you, at some point in your life, have heard of or heard the story of Noah and the ark? We laugh, right? Because it's very common. What story? Now, the interesting thing about this story, and I always joke about this with my kids is if you, the most, one of the most common places we find the story of Noah and the Ark is in uh, children's books. And it has baffled me for years how this has become a happy children's story. And when we look at the children's book, usually it's this cute picture of the animals in the boat and everyone is happy. We're on a boat. Woohoo! 
And I think how gravely we miss the circumstances surrounding this narrative. When we come to this portion of the narrative, there is much that should cause us to pause and see a heaviness around the fact of just how far mankind departed from literal fellowship with God in the garden to every thought and intentionality being evil continually. And yet in the midst of this, we see the promises and the faithfulness of God. There's a really well-known hymn. The first verse says this, Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring, glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. And then the refrain goes as such. Let's sing this. Standing, standing. And standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. How far are you willing to go for the promises of God? Two decades? Two years? Two months? Can you go two days? You see, when I think about a song like that, standing on the promises, I'm standing on the promises of God. It's interesting to me that oftentimes, and I am just as guilty of this church family, how easy it is for us to repeat phrases we become prone to know and live in a way completely contrary to what the words say. How often we say, I'm standing on the promises of God, I'm rooting in and standing in faith, knowing that He is God and He is in control, and yet my life says I am standing on the promises of man rooting into my own way. And so I ask you, at the end of the day, where is your faith rooted? And if you get nothing else out of today, as we look at this narrative of Noah and the ark, one that too often becomes so familiar that we don't stop to consider what we can learn about God and what we can learn about ourselves in the midst of all that's going on. If you get nothing else, I want you to grab hold of this church family that is the simple truth that the foundation of our faith must be rooted in the promises of God. The foundation of our faith must be rooted in the promises of God. Now, we're picking up this story in the midst of wickedness on the, in, the, in the world. Noah has found favor in the eyes of the Lord in all the wickedness that's taken place. We're going to pick up in verse 9, and I want you to follow along. Verse 9 of chapter 6. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. 
blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How the, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. Everyone say corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth, and God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second and third decks. Now, I want you to pause here for a minute and consider the implications of what just happened. Here is Noah, this faithful, obedient steward of God's law, God's rule, and the world is falling apart, and God comes to Noah and says, Noah, here's what I want you to do. Now, upon reading this, if we're really honest, I want us to stop and think about how many of us would hear this, and upon hearing this, decide, you know what? This sounds like a great plan. I'm just going to obey. I have to believe, knowing many of you, that there's a high likelihood that you're going to stand there and go, now wait a minute, what did you just say? God, is there a, is there a translation issue? Is there signal interference? Or did I just hear you tell me to make a giant boat? And yet, we don't hear that Noah did this. And in fact, if you look at verse 22 of chapter 6, it says Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And the first implication of this that I want you to see in this narrative is that standing on God's promises requires faith. Standing on God's promises requires faith, not a faith in myself as the world around us would have us think, but a faith in the one who foresees what's coming. Now, the logical question when we think about this idea of faith is, what is faith? Well, I want you to hear this from Hebrews 11. And if you want to put your finger in Genesis and turn there, you can. I'm going to read this and you can note down. This is Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 7. And it says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. 
By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we start at creation. Now, verse four, it goes by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, he though he died, he still speaks. Verse five, we now shift by faith, Enoch. This descendant of Adam's son, Seth, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, get this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who seek him. Verse 7 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by what? Faith. Everyone say faith. Standing on God's promises requires faith. The most challenging piece of this truth, church, is that when we look at what the evidence of faith is, over and over and over again in God's word, the evidence of faith is simply obedience to God's commands. God's commands, fulfilling, just living out God's commands on their own, apart from faith, is worthless. If you just do and hope that by your doing, somehow you will attain to the righteousness of God, you are sorely mistaken because there's an element missing. Faith. I am incapable of rooting myself firmly in the promises of God without faith in who God is. This very truth is what we see in Noah as he does not complain or argue with God. Rather, he takes instruction from the Lord and he walks in obedience. Why? Because his faith was rooted In the Lord. Standing on God's promises requires faith. Now, it doesn't stop there. The next thing we're going to see is that standing on God's promises requires perseverance. Let's look at verse uh, starting at verse 17 of chapter six in Genesis. It says, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters. This is God talking. Upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark. You and your sons, your wife, your sons, wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh 
You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in uh, to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all. Everyone say all. He did all that God commanded him. Now, there's multiple times in this narrative as we go into chapter seven, even that Noah does all that the Lord commanded him. Verse five, he, it says it again. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Verse nine of chapter seven it says Noah, as God, um, two male, two female went into the ark with Noah, as God commanded Noah to that would happen in verse 16. Those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. Noah over and over and over again is faithfully walking in obedience to God's will. But here's here's the crazy thing. We aren't given really a specific timeline on how long it took to build the ark. But the estimation is anywhere from like 70 to 120 years. I want you to think about this for a minute. And put yourself in Noah's shoes. God has given clear instruction and command. Noah is doing all that God has commanded him to do. And so let's just cut it in the middle and say, for the next 100 years, you're going to work on this singular project simply because God commanded you to work on that. All the while, the world around you is in such evil that God has revealed he's going to wipe it out. For 100 years, Noah perseveres in doing exactly what God had commanded him to do. Now, there's nothing recorded about what went on in the in-between, but there's, it, it, it is reasonable for us to speculate that as Noah continued in this project, people became curious. And as soon as uh, they found out about what was going on, um, I'm sure it didn't take long for the Noah jokes to start. And yet in the face of whatever persecution or hardship or challenge or trial that Noah faced, he persevered in doing exactly what God had commanded him to do. Standing on God's promises requires perseverance. Now, it's interesting as we think about our culture today and we think about how well we tend to persevere in the face of trial. And I wish I could say we did a good job. We struggle in this area. And a couple factors I looked at this week that just affirmed that to me. And again, I say this not because I'm exempt from this, but more just looking at where we're at. Did you know that the average length of a marriage in our country is just over eight years? The average. In fact, if you are one of the very, very few people who end up having been married for 50 years or more, it's less than 6% of marriages. 
Why is that? Well, at the end of the day, when things get hard, we quit. In the same way, the average length of time that someone stays in a job, four years before they move on. Now, there can be very valid reasons to shift jobs. However, sometimes we just quit. If we take this and apply it to the church, how many times can we allow something to affect or impact us to the level that we just quit altogether? I am so discouraged by the amount of people that I encounter in the culture around us who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I will never step foot in a church again. And usually my first question is, have you ever been to a bad restaurant? Well, yeah. So I'm assuming that you don't go to restaurants anymore either. We quit so easily. Again, there can be very valid reasons to step out of things. But when we're talking about standing on God's promises, church family, I exhort you and challenge you, don't become loose-handed with the very promises of God, the life-giving hope that has been given us in Jesus. Root into these truths with a fervency and a passion that the world around has no hold on ripping away from you. Standing on these truths and these promises take a perseverance that we see exemplified in Noah's life. Once again, that's not it. Standing on on God's promises requires patience. Everyone say patience. Look at chapter 7, it says then, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Jump down to verse 11. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, All the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, every winged creature They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. To give you a reference of that, a cubic is about 18 inches And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, 
livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Imagine decades of tireless labor done in faith by Noah as the rest of the world continued on, then entering the ark, surrounded by animals of every kind. Consider for a moment, I think we, we often lose sight of this, this is not an age of electricity. And I don't know if you've ever experienced true darkness before, whether it's in a cave or in a country that does not have electricity, but it is disorienting. And yet they follow God's command as they enter the ark and in the dark of night and the light of day, they waited patiently, trusting in God's promises and depending on his faithfulness. As the waters rose, not only did they have to trust God's faithfulness to preserve their lives, but to guide their ship. Have you thought about that? I don't know about you, but if God told me to build a boat, I'm going to put an utter, a rudder on that thing. Why? Because I, I want to be in control. Right? And yet, we don't see anything in there about that being a piece of this. There is simply walking by faith, trusting that God was going to guide them. Exactly as he had promised to preserve their family. The other aspect of this requires not only just trust, but patience. You realize they're in the ark on the floodwaters for over a year. From the time they entered the ark to the time that they walk out onto dry land. We're talking 360 to 370 days. Talk about patience. Man, we get frustrated if we're stuck at a red light for too long. My goodness. Imagine being stuck on a boat with all of creative life for a year. And your family. Standing on God's promises requires patience. Some of you can relate to this in the season of life you're in right now. And the picture of sitting in a dark boat unsure of what's coming next perfectly encapsulates where you're at. And my encouragement to you, if that's you, if you're going, man, that's the picture of my life is for you to cling to the promises of God and trust Him to guide you, just as Noah did. In all of this, here's the next truth. God's promises never fail. God's promises never fail, church family. Look at chapter 8, verse 13. Flip over a little bit. It 
In the scope of these days, Noah has waited on the Lord. He's been patient. He's done what the Lord has called him to do. And he sends out birds to check and see if the waters are receding. Eventually, they don't come back. In verse 13 of chapter 8, it says, In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Now jump over to chapter 9, verse 8. Understand in between this, Noah steps off the ark. You know what the first thing he does? The first thing he does is he sets up an altar and he worships the Lord. He honors the Lord. I wish I could say that coming out of every trying season of my life, that that was the first response of my heart. But too often it's not. Yet God remains faithful. Chapter 9, starting in verse 8, says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant. Covenant is a big word for promise. The covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God's promises never fail. And in fact, God not only has left that sign in Scripture for us to be reminded of this truth, but He has left that sign for us consistently. When we can look in the sky, may it be a simple reminder to us that God's promises never fail. Church family, it doesn't matter what season is going on in your life. It doesn't matter where our culture is. It doesn't matter where we see the country going or the world going. The promises of God Almighty will never fail. And we see this in 
passages about God's faithfulness all throughout Scripture. In Joshua 21, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel before the time of Joshua had failed. All came to pass. In 1 Corinthians 1, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. 2 Thessalonians 3, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In Hebrews 10, the challenge to let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For He who promised is faithful. How far are you willing to go for the promises of God? I want to leave you with three questions to ask in application. Number one, ask the question in your own life, in our life as the church, what is the foundation of our faith? Your faith right now is rooted in something. And chances are, if you are feeling like everything is shifting around you, your faith is in something other than the promises of God. Because when we are planted firm on the rock, the only one who is constant in the face of every storm, it does not matter what happens around us, we are firmly planted, standing on the promises of God. What is the foundation of your faith? <clears throat> Peter talked about this in First Peter, where he corresponds this the flood in Noah's day to baptism specifically. Verse 20 of this, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and it is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. The really simple truth in this is it's not speaking here about simply water baptism, but rather a transformation that happens when I commit to following after Jesus. That's why at the, at the core of this, it says uh, the baptism now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body. In other words, being dipped in water doesn't save you. It doesn't cleanse you because it's internally that you need cleansed. If your faith is in something other than God, then internally you need cleansed. And that's a work only God in Christ can do. You can't do it yourself. That's why when we celebrate baptisms as a church, we do so not because that's the moment of their salvation, but rather that's their identification with what Jesus has already done for them. That I am dead my sins are dead with Christ and I'm raised to new life this is exactly why I say if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized you need to be baptized not because it saves you but because in obedience and in identification with what God in Christ has done for you if you really believe that 
That's, that needs to be a part of your story. And it's commanded. It's walking in obedience to what God has called us to in His Word. What is the foundation of your faith? Number two. Know the promises of God, church family. Oh, we are, we, we do not know these. We assume we do and we don't. And maybe a better question to ask is, know what the promises of God are not. God has not promised you monetary success on this earth. God has not promised you the home of your dreams. He's not promised you that you're going to have the career you've always wanted. God has not promised you a long life and health on this earth. God has not promised that tomorrow will come. In fact, He says the opposite. Don't plan like there's a tomorrow. Live with what you've been given today. But too often, even our prayers reveal that we assume the promises of God are for our earthly benefit rather than for His glory. Know the promises of God. I can't stand on promises that I don't know. How do I know the promises of God? Read your Bible and know what God has said. Thirdly and lastly, stop playing the short game and start seeing God's faithfulness over the long haul. Some of you are in really, really challenging seasons right now. And you're, you're struggling to see how in the world you're supposed to come up for air. Whether it's grief or loss, or it's shift, or it's anxiety, or it's mental health, or it's challenge, or it's just weightiness of what's going on around you, or it's family dynamics, or you fill in the blank. And in the short term, when you just focus on the short term, you're, you're saying to yourself, where is God in the midst of this? If you spend too much time watching the news, you're going to say, where is God in the midst of this? If you spend any amount of time out amongst the culture and the world, you're going to ask, where is God in the midst of this? And the answer has not changed from the beginning of time. God is exactly where He has been and where He will be for all eternity in perfect control of all things. Ready and willing to walk with you through every season. But you've got to stop focusing just on the short game and start looking at the long-term faithfulness of God. Our life is but a mist. If we were to cap all of the faithfulness of God over the last hundred years, just here at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, we'd be amazed, we would be floored at what God has done in a hundred years' time. We, don't even be, we can't even begin to know the lives that have been impacted around in this community and around the world in the last hundred years. We don't know the scope of that. God does. And so in the midst of all of this, I'm going to ask you again, Where is your faith rooted? My prayer for us as a church family, 
is that we would consistently root back into the promises of God and persevere with patience as Noah did in the face of the unknown, simply walking in obedience to His will. And that together, whether in the highs or the lows, whatever we face, that we together could say, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. So as we think about that, let's think about the last stanza in that song we started with. It says, standing on the promises, I shall not fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Help us to fix our eyes more fully on who you are. That we can have faith and confidence, not in our own ability, but in yours. And that that would give us rest in the midst of the chaos. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Have a great rest of your Sunday.